You know, the parts about launches that I don't like, you know, are, you know, we're going to open the cart, we're going to close the cart, we're going to reopen the cart. But it's all, those are the manipulative pieces that work. Yeah. And they're based on human behavior. And I think even Gene Schwartz, who wrote Breakthrough Advertising, would approve of them because it's really getting into that reptilian brain and all of that of how consumers buy and how people behave. But at the core, it's about believing in your product and working with the content first Hmm. and then unpacking the offer based on how you delivered content in the promotion. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Hey, welcome to The Truth About Marketing. It's Kevin Rogers here and really excited about my guest today. I say that every week, but this time I mean it. Uh, (laughs) My friend, I'm proud to call this man a friend. He's a legend in direct response marketing, probably has more experience uh, sending offers to people and gauging their response than any other human alive that I can think of. Uh, Brian Kurtz is with us today. Hey, Brian. Hey, Kev. And, and you know, after listening to the people that you've already interviewed, it's it's an all-star team, and I'm proud to be here. I'm a fortunate guy. You know, I just keep, as John says, weaseling my way into people's worlds, and <laughs> I've yet to get kicked <laughs> out. So. a road dog for John Carlton. You become a road dog for John Carlton, you're in good shape. That's the end. That's right. So, um, yeah, this is one of those, Brian, where uh, when I propose the question to you that I love to ask my guests, because this show is very case study driven, boy, but we have some choices on how to answer this question. So it was not easy for us to narrow down uh, what we were going to discuss. And I, I could easily see multiple sessions if you'd be so willing. But uh, for today... I feel like the whole world should know you. So don't let me pass over a quick introduction. You spent 34 years of your uh, life working at boardroom publishing, uh, working alongside Marty Edelson. And uh, when you arrived there, it was a $3 million business at its peak. It was a $160 million a year business. And as, uh, as you like to say, you guys sold a billion dollars worth of stuff, $39 at a time. And, you know, that's not the easy way to sell a billion dollars worth of stuff. So I don't know. A lot of copywriters like Paris used to always, Paris and Provost used to say to me, you know, when are you going to, when are you going to charge a little bit more than $39 (laughs) for something? And uh, it was always, it was always one of those banes of my existence. You know, you have a, a big universe of, of consumer and, you know, now I see the B2B world and I'm, uh, it, it's a lot easier to sell $2,000 product. You don't have to sell too many of them. Right. I don't want to be overly simplistic, but it's a whole different mindset. Um, but I, yeah, I, you know, and the thing, the thing is interesting, I, you know, talking about it in dollars, Kev, mm-hmm. is, is like, it, it, it kind of put, it gets people's attention. Right. But the actual bigger thing that I'm more proud of is just the amount of testing that we did and the amount of, you know, ingenuity that went into, like, we were, we were a real... Boardroom really became this place where if people said they work there or work with us, they thought that we were just doing state-of-the-art direct marketing. And to me, that was way more 
uh, something that I would wear as a badge of honor than that we did 150 million in one year. Right. So I, it, while I use the numbers because it it's a way to in, you know that's the way people introduce me. I do, I love being introduced much more as the guy who was an, one of the architects of a business that is known as sort of this pinnacle of direct marketing excellence. Yeah. And you know that's I don't know just a just a little nuance. There. No, yeah, it's it's important because it's important uh, for me. Anyway. I know you're passionate about the the art of direct response, and it is an art. It's very much a science, of course, it's very measured science. But uh, I love the stories about you sitting around late at night with you and Marty in a room, always brainstorming ideas and noodling with with headlines and hooks. And you, you guys have a great respect for copywriters because those are the people you relied on and trusted to bring you the copy, the the hooks, the big ideas that were going to sell all these books. Primarily, these are information products always. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, but at the same time, you guys didn't leave well enough alone. I get the feeling I, I could see you guys late at night going, ah, how could we which word is better? I it just. We did, but you know what? I, I will say this though, and I think that the, uh, David Deutsch has a great quote about, you know, if you want to see conversions plunge, you know, play with the copywriter's copy. It's not that exact quote, but it's close. Right. He said it much more eloquently, as David is wont to do. Um, I hope you'll interview him one day. Too. Oh, I certainly will. But David, and so 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 that that concept when David, I just was reminded of it recently with a new client that I have as a consultant who I had turned on to a copywriter and he was micromanaging the copy. Mm. And I'm like, I wanted to just shake him and say, you know what? You're not the expert in this room. Now, having said that, you know, Marty and I were, and Marty more than me, because I think Marty had a much better copy sense than I did. But, you know, Marty would tweak. He would, you know, do the things you just said with, with the copy. But we were both, sort of slaves to the concept of letting the copywriter be the copywriter yeah. that he he or she is the expert in the room and i i will tell you this i remember a story with arthur johnson i think i told this at the titans event that arthur came up with a, and arthur's one of the great copywriters probably should interview him too arthur came up with an incredible package and um marty just didn't like it and mm. Marty started playing with the cover and the lead and all. It was a Magalog. Mm. And I remember distinctly that they were having a fight. I was I was basically the referee. Wow. And they were going at it on the phone. And they had tremendous respect for each other. But, you know, in, in war, you yeah. know, <laughs> you fight. And Marty was – and they were fighting. I mean, mm. and I remember it was like this big epiphany I had. And I used this for the rest of my career. I said, guys, hold it, hold it, hold it. We just have we, we're going to have two panels. We're going to have the Arthur panel and the Marty panel, and that's just it. Mm. Because I'm not going to go and test this. And later on, Arthur basically saying to me, "You didn't test it the way I told you to. That's why it lost." Right. And I'm not going to have Marty saying that Arthur Johnson isn't a good copywriter. Right. So we tested it both ways. I, w I I think the result was like it. They indexed like really close to wow. each other. Because it was Arthur's copy with Marty's tweaks, basically. Right. And so if they index, if, you know, it indexed probably 105 to 100. And so when push came to shove, it was still great copy. Right. And so, but you know what? 
I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's a really, really important thing. And you have a lot of copywriters right. who, listen, who listen to you, I'm sure. Yeah, and I want to make sure the more general business owners who may be new to the idea of copywriting understand some of the context because I find this stuff fascinating. A panel uh, being sort of the, the, the headline, what you'd see on a magazine cover, uh, the image, every word critical to, to how it's because that's what's going to get you to flip the page. A magalog was like a little. No, Jamie like a, used to say the uh, outer envelope is the uh, is the hot pants on the hooker. <laughs> he wrote that in the 1970s. Of course. <laughs> I love it. And so magalog is like a, a little book you guys would send. In fact, you know they're selling some of Benza Vega's old prevention magalogs on eBay. Now, as books, <laughs> yes, and, and disgustingly cheap. If they had any idea what they had and how people geek over these things, people like us, they'd be selling them for a lot more. Well, the, the bookalog he did for Rodale, which mailed probably uh, you know eighty million pieces. You know, all someone had to do was be near that truck one day. They'd have they don't have to go to eBay, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, also, yeah. Let me just mention the, the Titans event as well because it was the, you know it was the the pinnacle event in direct response. I'll forever uh, feel shame and regret over not being there. It, it's you know, one of those uh, events where whatever justification I had, which I remember being solid for somehow not being there, the minute it was over and while it was happening, because we were getting live updates inside of Copy Chief from people who were there just losing their minds. I, I couldn't understand my justification. <laughs> a minute, uh, the next minute. I, I remember you had you you had you had something personal. I remember. Something going on. But uh, anyway, congratulations for that. Is there any future for Titans? I mean, it was so successful. Just just some context that you took. You know, the greatest copywriters to ever write these these huge packages that would mail to millions and millions of households. Everybody listening to this has seen and held these in their hands and seen them in their mailbox. Highly effective copy. You would consider it junk unless you become educated about what goes into these things. Not junk mail at all. But you assembled the greatest living copywriters. Everyone from people who we know, like Dan Kennedy, to someone like Arthur Johnson, who you just mentioned, who's a little less known, but like a perfect title, the titan in the industry. Uh, Any chance of that happening again or was it such a special thing that it just couldn't be repeated you know what I, I don't think i'll ever be able to repeat it exactly as i did it i did it as a tribute to marty edelston as well because he had passed away in october of 2013 and i did the event in um september of 2014 and actually it's funny the first day is a two-day event the first day of the event was definitely copy heavy but the second day of the event i got on to all these other areas and some people did think it was a copywriting conference and it really wasn't, although I did copy the first day mostly because I really felt that, you know, copy drives so much of what we do in direct response. But, yeah, I had Dan Kennedy and then I had, you know, Gary Bensavenga, who had told everybody he would never speak again. Right. And he came out because of his relationship to Marty and to me. And that was incredible to have him do kind of like his final live uh, exper- uh, live presentation. And then I had a panel called the Mount Rushmore of Boardrooms Copywriters, and it was four guys who are responsible for 650 million pieces of direct mail just for boardroom, wow. just for boardroom, over 20 years. And those four were Paris Lampropolis, David Deutsch, 
Arthur Johnson and Eric Betwell. And the four of them just did a, I, I, I moderated a panel with them, which was just one of the highlights of my career. Hmm. And then I had to round out the day. I had the first day was Ken McCarthy, who was one of the pioneers of the Internet and also a decent copywriter in his own right. Yeah. But then on day two, I kind of sw- shifted gears and I started doing, um, you know, just greats of, of just direct response. So I had Perry Marshall, who's kind of a newer generation, but a mm-hmm. great bridge yeah. between the old and the new. Uh, then I had Jay Abraham, who might be one of the greatest minds of all time when it comes to direct response marketing. I had Joe Sugarman, who did a few little things like invent the 800 number and the AB list test. And blue blocker sunglasses. That's right. Um, then I had Greg Ranker. Yeah. And this might be a good segue into my case history because yeah. we're going to talk about infomercials. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg Ranker of Guffey Ranker, which is a two, $1.8 billion uh, incredible machine yeah. uh, in, in the infomercial world, Direct Response TV. And Greg spoke and Dan Kennedy you know, helped me get him. And then I had Fred Katona, who is the number one guy in Direct Response Radio. And then I had my own personal little group, somebody you've already interviewed, Ryan Lee, uh, who's one of the best online marketers in the world, who's one of my best friends. Yeah. And I had Ryan, Michael Fishman, one of my best friends, and Jim Quick, one of my best friends. And the four of us, we have our own little mastermind group, and we were actually a little panel at the end of Titans. To answer your question quickly, though, I wasn't going to be able to repeat that event this year. I just went out on my own. Yeah. So but next year, I am going to do a Titans of Direct Response event. I'm trying to figure out how to do it. I need to get some female speakers. I didn't have any female speakers. Mm. It wasn't because I'm a chauvinist pig. It was because the speakers all had a direct relationship to Boardroom and Marty. Which existed and, in a chauvinist time. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it, right. Good, but... it, most of them worked in a chauvinist time, which yeah. was the problem. Yeah. But I'll, I'll make sure that it's a much more diverse yeah. uh, group of speakers. But I never will be able, I, I'll never get Gary again. I don't right. think Dan's going to do it again. Right. I don't think I'll get Greg Ranker again. I don't need the same speakers. You call but it, I would do something like it. Yeah, maybe like New Titans or something. Yes, New Titans. Awesome. Very cool. That's exciting. And where? But I know those videos are available. So where would somebody go? If they go to um, uh, www.titansdvds.com, dvds.com, um, the full offer is there. The price is now $2,000 for the entire package, which I think is well worth it. I had originally um, had a a discounted rate for my house file. What I would do for your listeners, though, if they go to that site and then then they send me an email at brian at briankurtz.me at the same time they order and tell me that they listen to me on your podcast, what I'll do for those folks is they'll get the package on the site and then I'm gonna I'm gonna send them because I have a feeling your folks might not have some other resources that I have at my fingertips. I'll send them another package of books. Oh wow! That I own, uh, one of which is um, Breakthrough Advertising by Gene Schwartz. Oh wow! Which everybody on your who listens to you should own that book. Yeah, absolutely. And then I have a couple other books and stuff. I'll I'll, I'll do like an extra of Kevin Rogers goodie bag. Cool. Of extra books, if they if they tell me they ordered. Thank three. you. I'll just mention that this was completely unplanned. Not and planned at all. So this is not a formal thing, but that's very generous of you to create this for us. So I would definitely create a little Kevin Rogers. All right, I'll, I'll be sure to put a special link under this episode. Then very cool. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. So, okay. So the 
here is the question. I'll put it to you like I put it to everybody. And again, given your experience, it's almost comical. It took a while to pick one. It's almost comical to ask you this, but what is the one thing uh, you did in your marketing that produced the most surprising results? So yeah, I had a I had a bunch of choices, and and I I, I love having choices because surprise in marketing is just wonderful. I have this one quote I use in presentations. I always say that I've predicted the results of every one of my marketing campaigns with a hundred percent accuracy. Once I have the result, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? So you so you never know, right? And that's why you test, right? And, and but so, I, just, I just want to put in context what testing meant for you guys compared to today. I could wake up with an idea, uh, put up a, a, a landing page and drive some traffic to it and have know if it's if it's a dud or not by noon. You guys had to slave over printed material, check every word, go with your gut finally and put it into the hand it off to the mailman. And it was not cheap. No. And, and um, I have a. I, ha- I did a I did a, a, a guest post on Copy Blogger, and it was something like why why posted why paying postage made me a better marketer, mm. and and it's exactly what you just said. It was the discipline, and so the same is true in other expensive media other than email, <laughs> and so the one the example I'm going to give you today relates to probably the single biggest success of my career, which was when we were able to finally break the code, crack the code on TV. Mm. And TV is also a very expensive medium. And it was always my dream, you know, to go. I never, I always wanted to do television advertising after being so successful in direct mail. And I never could make two minute short form TV work because I didn't have a known brand. Boardroom, bottom line were my brands. People didn't know who we were. It was just very difficult in two minutes to tell a story that would be able to convey enough excitement, response, credibility, what are all the things that we talk about in copy <clears throat> in two minutes to be able to sell on TV. But when the infomercial came about, I was like really excited because now you had a 28 and a half minute format that coincided beautifully for what we did in direct mail, which was very long copy, magalogs, bookalogs, you know, 24 page magalogs and 64 page bookalogs and 12-page letters in, in number 10s, so number 10 envelopes. So long copy was, was going to be what I was going to be able to do on TV, and that was infomercials. Mm. So I didn't crack the code on infomercials right away. I tried very hard to come up with an idea when Tony Robbins was killing it in infomercials in the late 1980s, and I never came up with the right thing, and I eventually came up with the concept, and that's a story in itself, which I told at a conference recently, which you heard the whole story. But the surprising part of the test, which I want to share with you, was once I came up with the idea with my producer, his name is a guy by the name of Steve Dwarman. And Steve Dwarman, D-W-O-R-M-A-N, wrote the best book ever on infomercials, which is one of the, you know what, I'm going to give that book as as one of the books, because I own I own a bunch of copies of it. Um, it's all about the infomercial business, the $12 billion infomercial oh, wow. business. And what's the name of the book? Um, it's called like the $12 billion. Hold on a second. It's called $12 billion of inside marketing secrets. Um, and it's all, and it's his book on infomercials. And I will include that wow. uh, in my, in my Kevin Rogers goodie bag if they buy the DVDs. But, 
Um, Steve also uh, did the infomercial marketing report, which was the newsletter for the industry for many years. So I always followed Steve's work. He was he was more than just an infomercial producer. And this is important only because we're talking about surprising uh, result. Right. And when you go to do anything like in any in any medium, you go to a TV producer, you figure they're just a producer. Steve is a direct marketing genius, too. So when he and I were together, it was like me and Marty being together. It was like we were kind of brainstorming the offer. We were brainstorming the copy approach. We were, and he was writing the copy. He was writing the script. Hmm. And I'll add another dimension to this, which was so cool, is that Arthur Johnson, who I mentioned before, who's one of our great copywriters, ended up – who he had written the direct mail package for the book we were going to sell on TV. It was called The Treasury of Health Secrets. And – Arthur Johnson became the person that we put on screen mm. in the infomercial as the medical expert. And he is a medical expert. And we could talk about that also about yeah. why copywriters should be medical experts if they're going to write about medical information. But Hugh Downs, who's the legendary newscaster, was interviewing Arthur Johnson. That was the show. It was an interview format mm. that Steve came up with. So Steve Dorman comes up with this incredible concept to sell the treasury of health secrets on an infomercial, single book, thirty nine ninety five with a bunch of extra premiums and all this stuff. And he comes up with this script that's just brilliant. It's basically changes the face of what anything I had ever seen on an infomercial for an information product had ever been before, which was actually to look credible. Mm. <laughs> I say that little tongue in cheek. But what I mean by that is that we have this 600-page book, which has the best doctors in the world, talking about their, their, their medical secrets, their health secrets. And what Steve decided to do was to get all of these doctors that he could find to actually go on camera in 30-second pods mm. to say, I, doctor from Harvard, I, doctor from Stanford, developed this incredible th marker for Alzheimer's, and I think it could really change the face of how we, how we will treat Alzheimer's in the future – and by the way, it's on page 67 of the Treasury of Health Secrets, and that would be the pod. Mm. So we had these doctor pods, like 20 of them throughout wow. the show. So we start doing this. Steve's doing the script with Arthur, and they're doing all this stuff. And normally the formula for an infomercial is that you would go about nine minutes into an infomercial or seven minutes into an infomercial, and then you'd have a call to action so that you talk, 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 and usually maybe if it's an exercise bike or some kind of cool thing you demonstrate it for a while you'd cut to a, a cut to an offer then you go another seven minutes you go another call to action and then you go the final seven minutes and then another call to action and whether you would add in some premiums or things by the end and wait but wait there's more right you know it would be a, but it was very formulaic with multiple right. calls to and action. you st still see it today i mean that they basically have the two minute commercial and so there'll be some build up to that. Then they'll run it, the more build up, run, basically run it exactly the same again. Right. And maybe at the end they'll say, but wait, you get six knives or something. Right. Said, yeah. But because we, we, Steve saw a problem with that formula with this. And this is, the, this, would get, this is where the surprising result would come because you figure why wouldn't you want to follow the formula that everybody else has used for years and years on infomercials? And Steve said, no, that's not going to work here. Steve said that, um, what's going to happen is that you're going to get to the first third of the commercial. They're going to see five doctors 
We're not going to have established the full credibility of this offer yet. We haven't seen enough of Hugh Downs. We haven't seen enough of the breakthroughs that are in the book. Plus, because I'm going to be giving away, we're, we're going to be giving away, because he and I worked on the offer together, we're going to be giving away you know, two other huge books with the 600-page book. I'm not going to like start talking about the premium, the extra books, in those first seven minutes. Right. So now we're going to go to a, if we went to a call to action after seven minutes, people would start calling on the phone. They wouldn't know the price right away. They wouldn't know what's going on. You'd have a bunch of abandons. If they called in the middle of the show, they wouldn't see the rest of the show, which you don't care as much on an exercise equipment, right? It's going to be more demonstrations and stuff. It's more of the same shit. Mm -hmm. Excuse my language. But it's in here, we were building to a crescendo. Right. So in a bigger way, I mean, just like any great direct mail piece does, but this was like, this is like Steve was, you could just see this was like mad scientist stuff. Mm. So then without a call to action, we kept on plowing through this infomercial. It builds, it builds. You know, Hugh Downs is chiming in. In all my years of being a newscaster since the 1960s, I've never seen so many doctors come out and want to, want to talk about their secrets. And then you'd have the next doctor is from Harvard and the next doctor is from Stanford. And the next one, you know, is like the guy who has, you know, is one. Oh, we, we actually had a Nobel Prize winner was one of the guys. Wow. Why would I put the Nobel Prize winner in the first seven minutes? He's going to be in the last seven minutes. Right. right? So. The surprising thing and how we structured the offer is that the first call to action where you could actually order the book for $39.95 was at, I believe, minute 24 of a 28 and a half minute commercial. So for 20 some odd minutes, maybe it was 20 minute 23, you are watching this show not knowing what we're going to end up offering besides the book, not knowing what the price is going to be, knowing nothing. We don't even like, we don't even tease it that much. Yeah. So, well, did they know there would be an offer? Was it even, you know, it's pretty clear that there's a book because Arthur holds up a book, but it's not, you know, it's so you basically everything that everybody's talking about, they know is in this book, mm-hmm. but the 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 salivation factor by the time the show was over, and and the beauty of the show was that, and, and the most fun thing that I learned, another surprising thing is that with infomercials, you can actually go online and watch the orders as they come in in real time, wow. visually, and it actually there's this one piece of software that every phone call that comes in the eight hundred number, it pops in like a piece of firework. Like it, it's wow. like a it's like a blast on your screen, mm. and so we would sit there at the computer at at a minute twenty five. We'd watch the our computer screen just explode. It was like a fireworks display wow. on the Fourth of July, because basic. So you had to have your your telemarketing as another surprise. You had to have your telemarketing. We knew this ready to go because you you would in a normal infomercial your your orders are spread out over the whole twenty eight right. and a half minutes. Here, they were all coming in within five minutes. Mm. So we really had to be prepared for that. And and I'll tell you, did we – so the question always comes up, did you ever go back and test mm-hmm. you know, multiple calls to action? And the answer was no. And the ans- and 
We just didn't know how to do it right. based on the way that we structured the show. So we really let the creative and the the way that we put this thing together kind of rule the day and say, you know what? I, I think we may have did a version later on where the call to action was a little earlier, but it certainly wasn't multiple calls to action because we were building a story. And then you have the whole other lesson, which was a pleasant surprise that confirms so much of what we know about copy and creative and how it relates to how people respond is developing, you know, really, really telling a story, mm. the story of bottom line health, the story of why Hugh Downs would endorse such a product, mm. the story of why we would get 20 of the most heralded doctors and, and, and health professionals to go on camera to sell a book is such a story in itself. Interesting. It's the story within the story about not just selling books. And the postscript to all of this is that, you know, we had we ended up with a franchise for Treasury of Health Secrets and then a second book called Ultimate Healing that probably was about a $300 million franchise. Wow. In terms of taking a direct mail package, creating an infomercial, be able to sell it online using Hugh Downs and the same principles, and then creating a new direct mail package based on the infomercial, that it was all these multi-channel things uh, running together. You saw the whole presentation yeah. when I presented it recently. Amazing. <clears throat> but, Such but a great we, story. It, uh, some of my big takeaways, Brian, from, from it are, one thing you didn't touch on that I think is such a huge driver here, and I feel like this is what Steve is so passionate about, is that you, you were out to deliver value first, right? Yeah. Where every yeah. other infomercial you say it is, you know, you think about the um, Thigh Master or whatever all the other things were, and it was just like kind of flashy, what we would call hypey marketing today. A lot yes. of in and out camera angles and, you know, outrageous before and afters and like yes. sexy people, you know, really creating a fantasy. Whereas here, you knew you had an amazing product that really could change people's lives, really help some people who needed the help. And you thought, what if we just, you know, blow their minds with the, the genuine value of what's inside this book? If we can truly represent the product, yes, that should be enough to sell it. And by we need time to unpack this. Yeah. And, and what we call, you know, controlling the pitch which is something Correct. you don't really get to do in print. You had a chance to sort of control the, the pitch, how the information would be received, and to flash in a call to action, which is almost feel, would feel like an act of desperation in that context. Yes. Yeah, I love, I love the way, I love that, that, that phrasing. I've heard it before, and you just brought it back to my mind. I couldn't help but smile when you said unpacking the offer. And, you know, you think about the best guys who launch online today, in terms of launching product, the ones who do it the way I like it the best are the ones that use a formula, like product launch formula for one, but just the formula that really gives away so much content mm -hmm. way before they go in for the kill. You know, it's the jab, 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 right hook, you know, using Gary Vaynerchuk's, he's using it in terms of social media, but mm -hmm. it's the same principle, I think, in a direct response offer. Yeah. And, you know, again, you have to have a lot of, I, I love the way you put that, Kevin. It's like to having so much confidence in your product and what you're going to end up delivering and your impact as opposed to how much money you're going to make mm. is the lead for you. 
And I just love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that. And, you know, the parts about launches that I don't like, you know, are, you know, we're going to open the cart, we're going to close the cart, we're yeah. going to reopen the cart. But it's all, th- those are the manipulative pieces that work. Yeah. And they're based on human behavior. And I think even Gene Schwartz, who wrote Breakthrough Advertising, would approve of them because it's really getting into that reptilian brain and all of that of how consumers buy and how people behave. But at the core, it's about believing in your product and working with the content first Mm. and then unpacking the offer based on how you delivered content in the promotion. And I love the term content marketing. I don't mm-hmm. think it can, I don't think it's overused. I really don't. Yeah. You know, the first great Magalog, the best Magalog, the first Magalog that became a control for us was written by Clayton Makepeace. Mm. And I was again, this is this goes back. This is a a one a one B on surprising result. The first Magalog we ever did, I could not believe how much steak was in the Magalog. Mm. I grew up in a direct marketing world where everything was sizzle. Mm. There was no steak. It was all about here's the fascination. Mm-hmm. What never eat on an airplane, you know, how to outmit a mugger in a self-service elevator, see page such and such, mm-hmm. had nothing to do with what we were going to give away for free. The Magalog stood that on its ear. You know, Clayton Makepeace would write sidebars that said the five things you have to know every time you go to the dentist. I'm making it up, but I'm close. Here's one. Here's two. Here's three. For four and five, you're going to have to go to page 67. Mm. That was the beginning for me of the roots of what I call content marketing. Mm. And it's now on steroids. I mean, because the Internet is so cheap and email is so cheap, you can afford to do that. The fact that we did it on TV, though, that was the surprising piece that we were able to make that work in a medium and risky, too, because it's so expensive. Well, you know, it's it's a bit of a tricky proposition just to stay with the idea of content marketing. It, because you can oversatiate, you know, and I've consulted right. on projects and had to say to people, you know, you cannot judge what your, uh, you cannot predict your sales by your Facebook likes and your comments, because of course people love you for giving away amazing content, but right. three 30 minute videos with full exercises and things for people to do may not leave them wanting enough. Yeah, and, and so I think that's what you mean when you say like someone like Gene Schwartz would appreciate this because uh, on one hand it's it's very basic human behavior psychological uh, not manipulation but this is the business we're in people behave a certain way based on some things we understand and some things we just don't and yeah. it's our job to help them discover what they need. Through <laughs> right, through, yeah. I and mean, again, if if you're starting with a quality product, there's no shame in doing what it takes to put it in people's hands, right? And then there's re, there's return policies and things to to protect against that beyond that. Uh, so, but anyway, I love that sort of sidebar because that's a really fascinating and important thing that people are still trying to figure out today. You know, I think price and and pre-launch are, t- are two of the biggest mysteries in in any scenario. And and, right. and pre-launch is a pretty hard thing to test. Most people don't have the capacity to really test a two or three version of, of pre-launch content before launch. No, it's true. And I think that the, the, the best pre-launch content I've seen from people, especially in, in niches, and two that I can think of off the top of my head who I know pretty well, 
Uh, one is uh, um, Susan Garrett, who does dog training, mm. um, and she is just amazing in her pre-launch. But the, the, I think the reason why people still buy the product, even though she gives away a lot of the tips in the mm-hmm. pre-launch, is that her credibility level is off the charts. I mean, she's won competitions for dog training and dog agility training. So I think people know that what they're going to get in the product is going to be above and beyond what they got for free. And again, that's a, it's a delicate balance. I mean, yeah. you, hit a, you, hit, you hit a very key point. Right. My, my other buddy, Will Hamilton, who does FuzzyYellowBalls.com, which is tennis instruction on the internet, <laughs> his pre-launch content, I think, gives away a lot of, you know, things, tips, you know, serve killers and things, but he doesn't give it all away. And again, because you know he has access to the Bryan brothers, who are the best doubles team in the world, and to Patrick Rafter, who's a former world champion, that you eventually know that he's going to deliver at a whole new level right. once you become the customer of the product. So there's that there's that credibility piece, you know, right. the old proof elements that Gary Bensavenga talks about. Yeah, that is all part of this as well. There's no one thing though. You're absolutely right. right. I mean, this is this is art. This yeah, in 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 the in this instances you just mentioned there, I, part of it is they they're buying the best. It's like I've shown you the world I live in and how willing I am to share it with you. Do you want to actually come into my world? Yeah, and here's the entrance fee, and they exactly. go, "Heck yeah, I want to be in this club." Uh, not only do I want to see what else you've got for me, but I want to wear your satin jacket now. You, yeah, you've touching the robe is, is a, such an important concept. And and but you still have to deliver. So there, it's funny we're into some interesting concepts here. But you've got you've got content marketing, how much to give away, and I think maybe there's a direct relationship. Is that the more velvet your robe, the more you want to be taught that person needs to be touched. The more content you could probably give away in pre-launch. Mm, boy, that's, that's, my that's a big one. I hadn't really yeah, thought of it like that before. We just came up with something brand new. I think so. It's yeah, a magic and moment. I, 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 there are a lot of examples of it. There are a lot of examples. Yeah. Of it. Very cool. Okay, great. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here because, again, there's just so much here. Um, this is going to be a longer episode, and people are going to thank us for it. <laughs> uh, I promised my community at Copy Chief, where many of the greatest copywriters are, and you know, a lot of hungry copywriters, uh, offered them to throw out some questions, Brian, and you've generously uh, obliged. And so a couple of, um, let me just give you my favorite one. Uh, And this is a really important one. So when you were at Boardroom and now you're on your own, you're consulting and you're you're hosting a mastermind group, which is really exciting for our whole community that you're a little more accessible now. When Boardroom was vetting young copywriters for their ability, what qualities did you look for to separate the wheat from the chaff is Ross. It's a great question. And, 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 it's funny, AWAI, which is the big organization that works with copywriters and where our new copywriters are all getting trained, they wanted me to do a session there, and I was uncomfortable with the title. And they, they titled it, and I went with it, and it was, what does it take to write for the big dogs? And I, I was uncomfortable with it because it sounds very elitist um, to say that, well, you know, you're a good writer, but, uh, you know, you never get to work for boardroom, and you know, or you never went to work for Agora, or you never get to work for Phillips Publishing in the old days, or Rodale. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what, I could turn this into something really valuable. And not so much to be elitist and to say, you'll never write for me. 
I think when I did that session at AWAI that you were at, I used the uh, the Seinfeld episode where uh, when Jerry says to George, you know, you want to be my latex salesman, you know, so you want to be my copywriter. If people don't know Seinfeld, they didn't get the joke, but I can't go into it right now. It's very funny. Um, but anyway, you know, so you want to be my copywriter. What, you know, who who are you to be my copywriter? But I, I, I turned it on its ear a little bit and I said, look, there are certain characteristics I think that would be really beneficial for you to have if you're a copywriter to, to have to get my attention if I was hiring you. And by the same token, if I'm talking to anybody on this call or I was talking about in that audience who's on the mailer side or on the client side, what would I look for in a copywriter? So it goes both ways. And so I, I had come up with seven things, and I quickly wrote them down here so I don't forget them. I'll do them, I'll do them really quickly. Great. But there were seven things that I put them into categories of what I was looking for. So one, one of them was that I wanted every copywriter to show me that they were very hungry. Mm. And by hungry, it's not so much that they were starving and they needed money from me. Right. Hungry meaning that they were the kind of copywriter that not only wanted to win a control – to work for me, but that they were so interested in keeping the control. And I always use the example of the copywriter that would say, I'll write your control for you, a new package for you. And if it doesn't work, I'll write you a second version for no charge because I'm going to tweak it enough if I'm close to get it to work. Mm. So that's an example of being hungry. That I, it doesn't, I don't care about the money. I'll, I paid top dollar. I mean, I wasn't right. looking to save money. Right. But they showed me that they were hungry enough to get the control. And once they got the control, their first reaction was, how do I beat my own control? Right, right. And so the copywriters that I talked to would be people that would tell me stories about how I got the control for so-and-so and someone else they were trying to beat it with. But I went up against the other guy, too, even though I was already the winner. Because I wanted to stay the winner. Yeah, right. That's a good example of showing me they're hungry. Great. Showing insatiable curiosity is number two. And this one is why Arthur Johnson ended up being at the desk on TV. You know, I said to Arthur Johnson, you know, you're a copywriter and you do play one on TV, but you also are a health expert and you play that on TV too. Because he had insatiable curiosity. He just had so much interest in the stuff he was writing for. And that if he got a topic, he would just bury himself in what it is. Right. I used to always use the example of my buddy Paris Lampropoulos, who's also one of the best copywriters, that I tell this story a lot, but it's one that I'm so proud of, and he loves when I tell it, which is I was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2008, and after the call with my urologist to figure out what my options were, my second call was to Paris Lampropoulos, who again is not a doctor, but he plays one in direct mail. And I said to Paris, you know, you've written more about prostate cancer and treatments for alternative treatments than anybody I know. I want to hear what you got to say on the subject. And I, in, talking to him was more valuable than talking to uh, a doctor at that point. That's, that's curiosity, right? Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Then also how, how much they read also. Gene Schwartz had a library that would rival anybody. So is their curiosity go beyond just the topics that they write about? Uh, number three, show me your smarts. I want to know who copywriters hang around with. I know you, Kevin, hang around with the best in the business and you run your copy by the best in the business. Mm -hmm. Who are there in their little miniature mastermind groups where they run copy? You know, at Titans, 
I did a panel with my four best copywriters, my Mount Rushmore, and I remember Eric Betwell saying his wife, Sherry, is a copywriter, and he reads, you know, I, I say, Eric, what do you, I, I, I threw him a softball, I go, Eric, I hear, you know, before you go to bed at night, you read poetry to Sherry before you go to bed, as a romantic thing. He goes, no, Brian, sadly, I read her all my direct mail copy, because I need a sounding board with somebody who really understands it. <laughs> and so that's, you know, you told me a story before this call about a world-class copywriter who was looking over your shoulder. Right. Huge. That's showing me you're smart. Because if you're that smart, you ain't the smartest person in the room, right? Right. And I, I think you and I have the same approach to that. If I'm ever the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Wrong room, buddy. <laughs> and so the fact that you're so well-connected, I'll, I'll use you as an example, with the copywriting community you wouldn't be caught dead not running some stuff of, that you're writing by people, whether you have to pay them or not pay them. Right. And you have such good friends, a lot of them will just give you a sounding board for free because mm -hmm. you'll do the same for them. Sure, right. That, to me, is showing your smarts. It's not so showing me how smart you are, but it's also, hey, I want to know what you read, too. You know, I want to make sure you read Breakthrough Advertising. But, right, right. Um, and then it's show me your passion. That's number four. And the passion is a little bit part of the curiosity, but... Passion goes a whole nother level. You know, most of the best copywriters probably started in one niche that was an area that they were so passionate about, and then they branched out into other niches. Right. So every one of the world-class copywriters I ever worked with were always about being passionate about one thing and then moving into others. Um, number five was show me you understand direct marketing principles. I don't work with a copywriter who doesn't ask me for a list history of the product that I'm, I'm mailing. Or they don't ask me if it's online, what affiliates have you worked with? They, every copywriter should know uh, as much as possible about the lists that are being mailed, the audience that's being sold to. If they don't ask about that, it's one of the big things that will knock them out of the box for me. Mm. And also, if they understand basic concepts, and this scared a lot of people at AWAI, because I said, you know, ask about lifetime value, ask about the lifetime value of a customer, how much can they afford to lose in year one? Some people came up to me and said, I didn't know I had to know that. I don't have to know that if I'm a copywriter. You're really intimidating me, Brian. I said, no one's ever accused me of being an intimidating guy. <laughs> but if you understand those concepts, you're going to be so far ahead of every other copywriter who just thinks they're going to write copy in a, in a, in a vacuum. Right. Um, number six is show me your humility. You know, I don't care how many controls you had, but show me that this new project is your newest favorite, best project. Gary Bensavenga, who's the best living copywriter, bar none, you know, if you talk to him, you would never think that he was such an incredible competitor on the football field. Right. Where he talks about, he, he, he chided me once about, I said something about, Gary is going to talk about this or do this because he knows he'll be the best. And Gary says, basically, he got angry with me. Mm. He said, don't you dare talk about me like that. Mm. Those are people that I respect. You know, those are people that I'm in the marketplace trying to beat them. Yes, but they've beaten me on occasion. The fact is they didn't beat him very often. Gary had like an 85% rate of success. But think about the humility that it takes to be the best copywriter in the right. world and totally respect everybody that they're running against. You know, Paris and David may not admit it on, on your podcast when you interview them, but there were situations where I remember Paris saying to me, I won't mention names, but Paris said to me, 
I said, I want him to write for a particular product. And he said, you know, Brian, I'm looking at the control. I can't beat that. Hmm. And I can't write for that many packages this year. And I'm not, I'm going to hedge my bet. Mm-hmm. That and I, you know what I will mention names. It was an Arthur Johnson control. He said, "I can't beat that." And if mm-hmm. I, I may be able to beat it, but the odds of me beating it are so low yeah. that why would I want to choose that as one of my products? Now you could say that that's defeatist. That's not having a a, a can do attitude. I looked at it as total humility yeah. from a guy who's one of the best copywriters in the world. Right. So I love that. I just yeah. love that. Yeah, absolutely. And number seven, which for some people would be number one, but it's my number seven, is show me your work. Mm. I want to see your portfolio. I want to see what you've written. I want to see who you beat. But I'm going to ask you that seventh because I want to understand how hungry you are, how curious you are, how passionate you are, how smart you are, how much you understand direct marketing and how humble you are before I look at your body of work. Right Now, if your body of work is only the local Toyota dealer, you might not get a job from me. <laughs> Understand. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm usually talking to people who have done a lot of work. So I don't need to see their work first. Right. I need to see it in the context of what their journey was. So it's really about the journey. So I know that was a very long answer to a very it's short a, question. But it couldn't have been better spent. Uh, incredible list. Uh, I got to ask you. So I, I just picture some young copywriter here listening and he's just got his head in his hand right now and he's going, ah, to sit across from you in this context, so many of these things you're, you're talking about probably might not have ever entered their mind before, especially if they're online where everything's immediate, right? It's very easy to learn, to deep dive into these copywriting principles and start to learn the terminology and have a pretty good understanding of how some of the stuff works. Applying it and learning it and making a part of you is a whole nother thing. But what if somebody's sitting there listening right now, Brian, and she's saying to herself, how do I even begin to get the level of experience somebody like you would be looking for in this situation? You know, I know there's a million courses out there, but how do I rubber to the road start to really wear this stuff? That's a great question. I think you, you talked about the deep dive into these principles. What about the deep dive into the topic the topic or the subject area that you are most passionate about writing about. So forget about the course about learning how to be a copywriter. How about no course at all? But let's use the example of I want to be the copy. I want to be a health copywriter. I love health information. And I just see there's so much stuff about, you know, diet and nutrition. I would want to read every book that's considered either a bestseller, a, a program that's considered, you know, scientifically sound. I'd want to know all the science behind, just like Paris understood the science behind alternative prostate cancer treatments and using that as a very, very tight niche. But if you want to go a little broader, let's go diet nutrition. Let's go diabetes and blood sugar, which is broader than prostate. I'm, and I'm using health as an example. It could mm-hmm. be financial. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to write financial and I have a pretty good view of, of the financial markets and I want to write about, I want to be the, the guy who's going to write for anybody who's going to sell mutual funds, I'm going to dive deep in that subject area. So before you, so while you're doing the deep dive into the subject area, yeah, you should go buy scientific advertising by Claude Hopkins. 
everybody should have a copy of Breakthrough Advertising by Gene Schwartz. And going back to my offer for Kevin Rogers uh, groupies, I'll, I'll put a copy of Breakthrough Advertising along with Steve Dorman's book and whatever else we decide if they take us up on our offer. But you got to read Breakthrough Advertising. You have to understand mass desire. You have to understand all the different categories of people that you're writing to. Right. I don't know which copywriting course, because I've never taken one, because I'm not a copywriter. Right. Um, you might have a better sense of that than me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would get my hands on, you know, every, every, I would get my hands on every, and you can get them all online for free. I would get my hands on every issue of Ben Savenga Bullets. Oh, ben yeah. Savenga Bullets is what, is what Gary wrote on a regular basis. He probably should not have made them so readily available because they'd be a book that I would pay the same $95 I'd pay break for breakthrough advertising. Yeah. Um, but I have a stack of, you know, I'm a hard copy guy. So I've actually hard copied every Ben Savenga Bullets and yeah. I have it in a big paper clip on my shelf. Yeah, I have the same thing. Um, <laughs> so you have to read those books. You have to read that stuff. But then there's the combination. And so I'm a big believer. And I don't know if you, I don't know what I'd love to have your opinion on this. I'm a big believer in not trying to be a copywriter that's trying to write for everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, be all things to all people. I can write about anything because I'm so worldly and I'm so well read. Right. As opposed to picking that one thing, you know, that to start with right. and then branching out from there. And I would think that most of the great copywriters would probably say that they perfected their craft in a category or a subject area where they took the deep dive. So I don't yeah. know if I answered no, that I, question. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, it's okay. a good answer. And I'll say to that, I, I loved when you mentioned it earlier about be passionate. Start somewhere where you have passion. Yeah. People ask, that's a very common question, uh, should I start in a niche? And I say yes, because if, if, if you ultimately need to knit a sweater, don't you want to knit a mitten first? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to screw up the sweater if it's the first thing you ever knit. It's going to be missing exactly. a sleeve, you know. Uh, so master the art of learning a topic from the inside out and, and just live it. Let it become part of you. Carlton talks about uh, when you're ready to write, uh, you, that it, it won't feel like a chore. When you, if you've done your sales detective work, when it's time to sit down and write copy, you won't feel intimidated and you won't be looking for distraction. You'll be stalking the desk waiting to get at it. If you've forced yourself to do the right amount of research, you're so passionate, the copy's just like, you know, gurgling out of you. And it's just right. a matter of sitting down and getting it on the page, getting that first draft out. And so I don't think you can do that on, a, on, on five, ten topics to start with. How much can Not you really know? Out, it's too no. distracting. No. Uh, That's it, brilliant, Kevin. I, I, I'll just say one little thing. Yeah, yeah. The, the, um, the fifth, the fifth uh, thing that that I talked about the mm-hmm. understanding direct marketing principles. Mm-hmm. I think that this is really underestimated that if it, you can separate yourself from the pack of copywriters, I think I mentioned this a little bit already, but I want to emphasize it that if you walk into an interview or a phone call with a prospective client and you're a copywriter and you start talking about, you ask for the list history, you ask for, you know, what kinds of customers, you know, who's you, who do you think the avatar is for this particular product? What do you think is the, um, what, what, how, how do you calculate the lifetime value of a new customer? And what are you selling to them on the back end after they sell this first product that I'm going to sell for you? What does that product look like as it relates to the initial product? 
And how much of that can I get into the psyche of not just the buyer, mm. but you're thinking ahead to what the best multi-buyer looks like. Mm. That's going to help you right. in your own vision of the avatar. And I'll tell you, I will as a third book for the Kevin Rogers oh, package, boy. free. <laughs> um, so we got we got Breakthrough Advertising, we got infomercial book from Steve Lorman. There's a book called Secrets of Successful Direct Mail. It was written by Dick Benson. Mm. And Dick Benson was the father of direct mail. He's the guy I learned all about direct mail. So now your internet guys are going, why the hell do I want to learn about direct mail? Well, there are 31 rules of thumb at the beginning of this book that basically are all about direct response marketing. I don't care. And he wrote this book before the internet. And even though there'll be some things in there that you'll say, you know, some internet marketer will, sh- will like, you know, turn his head and say, why am I listening to this dinosaur who didn't even know the internet existed? If you read this stuff about recency, frequency, and monetary value, I mean, understanding RFM, yeah, recency, frequency, monetary, which is the basic core competency of anybody in the list business, right? If you understand that as a copywriter, and you understand about why more recent buyers buy more frequently, and why higher ticket buyers are different than lower ticket, but then you combine that with their affinity. You're so to not study that, yeah. So, again, the Benson book would have a lot on that. So, yeah, you, I think, I think studying that stuff just separates you from the path, yeah. And for anybody who's listening to go back on the why would I listen to that guy, understand that if if you know, you know, about Gary Halbert, know Mm -hmm. that and Gary would be the first to tell you this, he learned all this stuff from the people you're talking about. You know, Gary talked about, a lot about re- recency, frequency, money, uh, and people would think, oh, that's a Gary Halbert thing. But Gary, were he here, would be the first to say, no, 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 I read that in Dick Benson's book. You know, Gary yeah. was a nut for this stuff. There's the great stories of him going to the library to get his hands on the Robert Collier letter. Or, uh, Oh, you that's know. a great book. Oh, that's still a great book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why do you think I, at Titans I gave away the equivalent of 800 pages of the 30 best direct mail packages that Boardroom ever mailed. They mailed over a billion pieces, these 30 packages, and by the best copywriters of all time. And there were people in the audience, I could tell, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry those two binders home. I said, damn straight you are. And if you don't, do that at your, at your peril. Because yeah. the, the copy platforms, the structure of, I mean, you know this, because you and you're you're an incredibly good student of all this stuff. You know, the value of swipe files, it's funny on the panel, Eric Betwell said he doesn't really have a lot of swipe files whereas Paris has file cabinets of them. Mm-hmm. Like different strokes for different folks, right? You yeah. can still be a great copywriter and not have a lot of swipe files. Right. But you know what? To not look at the greats of the past is just a huge mistake and it's a mistake in anything that you do. Anything you do. Uh, just got to tie up your list because this is amazing to me because it came around to Gary Bensavenga, who, like you said, hands down, bar none, the guy, alive. You and I are privileged to sit in a room with him once a year at uh, yes. Michael Fishman's event. Yeah. Uh, it was an amazing privilege for you to have him speak at Titans. Get, when, I'll tell you a quick story, Brian. I don't think I've told you the story before. When I was brand new to copywriting, I was working feverishly to finish, to meet a deadline, I was probably in over my head and I knew that at the time Gary was writing for the newsletter, uh, Rory Rosengarden's 
newsletter, right? Wow. Is that yeah, his yeah. name? Did I get the name right? Yeah. Um, what was the name of that? Rosen, the Rosen Garden uh, Report. Or yeah, something I don't like remember that. that as much as you do. Okay, okay. so I, all I somehow knew that Gary was partnered with him, sort of like mm-hmm. a prelude to uh, French, uh, the, the olive oil, fresh pressed olive oil. Club right, right, right. Yes, now. And so this, this piece of copy comes through about the best holiday ham you've ever tasted. And I just start reading it. And I had the most organic experience with direct response copy I ever had. At the end of this short letter, I am searching for my wallet and I am get, grabbing my credit card and I am ordering a, a $100 half a ham. I'm a guy who doesn't need a ham, wasn't thinking about <laughs> ham, can't afford a half a ham, and I cannot wait to taste this ham, <laughs> gleefully paying for this ham. And so I wrote to Gary, I, I forget I must have responded to the email address or something. And I, 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 the subject of the email was, I think you just sold me a ham. And I quickly told him the story, like I just told you. And I said, I have to ask you, Gary, if this ever reaches you, what did you just do to me? What is that? What is that NLP? Like, how did you just, you just took over my mind. I, 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 I have tingles thinking about this ham, you know. Uh, you created a physical change in me. And, and, and he was kind enough to write back. And he said to me, the one piece of advice, which I, I believe covers every one of your seven principles. And he said, my advice, he said, yes. And I asked him, Could, can I ever be as good as you? Is it possible? And of course, very humbly and, and politely, as you know, he is. He said, yes, you can be as good. And here's what it takes. Every single day, read a piece of control copy. And don't just read it to, uh, to study it because you know it worked. Also be asking yourself, what's one thing I would change in this copy to maybe mm. make it convert even better? Oh, that's brilliant. And that little exercise is what somebody sitting here feeling intimidated at all the greats we're talking about who's devoted their life to this. That's what they can do. If nothing else, they can read every day and be thinking, all right, what would I do? What, yeah. would, what could I bring to this? Because what's unique and what will leave your mark on, on, the, on, on this industry is that thing you bring to it. Your human experience, your story. Your that, story. That right. got you to this point and that makes you think the way you do. And I think that one little piece of advice from Gary covers hunger, curiosity, smarts, it passion, does. everything, right? It does. Just it a, does. Just as a testament to Gary and, 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 and how he mastered this yeah. craft in, in years of devotion in the way he thought about it. Just unbelievable. You, you answered, you answered that question that you asked me with, I, was, I never heard that story. And, and that is exactly the, that's a great answer. It's like, what, what can people do that feel intimidated? So we gave them, you know, go into your niche and, 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 and dive in deep dive, read the key books, do this, do that. And you just gave him another one, which is basically read everything that you know was a winner and make your change. Yeah, and it's, I'm not just saying this because we had no intention. I had no intention of even trying to sell DVDs. I, well, I, yeah, I got to say, I love that they've watched this offer develop. <laughs> I know it's like it's like we, we the call to action has been like unbelievable. But the um, but at TitansDVDs.com, that package has the 800 plus pages of swipe files from Boardroom. It also has another book that Dan Kennedy put together for the event for Titans. It's like 270 pages of like some of his best, mm. like, and it's all about the psychology of the offer and everything. I mean, 
I'm just thinking now, I have it on my shelf over there. That'd be fun to go through his book and start figuring out what would I change. I never yeah. thought of it. Yeah, that's from the man himself. And that, so, well, Brian, uh, gosh, I, I hate to even end this, uh, but you know, you've been so generous with your time. I have a feeling we'll be doing this again. I <laughs> hope so. I hope this wasn't too long. I know that a lot of, if they made it this far, they're listening a lot longer than some of the other uh, Yeah, You know, I could, it'd be a clean break into two parts right now. So maybe that's an option. But, you know, this has been a master class. Uh, thank you so much for, for doing this, for sharing your 35 now years of wisdom, uh, hard fought wisdom, hard won wisdom in this business. Thank oh, yeah, you. I made I made a lot of mistakes. Did it sound like I was bragging at all during no, this call? No, no, no. I'll take it all back right now and tell you that <laughs> I, 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 can I, can I F-bomb or I shouldn't have? Sure, yeah, yeah. I fucked up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I I don't want that could be its own podcast. Call. I was going to say like, my, my biggest fuck ups of all time. That'd be the, the, the final piece of advice, you know, fuck up and fuck up fast. <laughs> yeah. Fail fast. Yeah. You know, fail fast. Yep. Yep. All right. Thank you so much, Brian. We'll be talking again soon, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, it. Kev. All right, buddy. Bye. That felt good. I think that was a really good show. Yeah, I dug it. Hey, if you want the show notes and the links we mentioned, uh, head over to copychief.com forward slash T-A-M. That's copychief.com forward slash T-A-M. And it's all waiting for you right there. If you're interested in getting uh, coaching from me on business, on copywriting, plus access to all the amazing trainings like the Fast Wins Copy Course and the 60 Second Sales Hook, plus the community, that's the real golden ticket, the community of like-minded, helpful, cool business owners and professional copywriters. You should come on the inside of Copy Chief. You can get the best deal. Shh, it's our secret. Copychief.com forward slash special. I'll watch for you inside.